0: Good morning, everybody. All right, for those that are joining us for um, the first time, we are going through the Gospels according to the Minor Prophets, and today we are sitting at Micah. So we've already gone through now the first five books. This is a sixth book. That means we're actually halfway through the Minor Prophets now, and so that's exciting for those that are reading ahead. I know some of you guys like to read the book before we get into um, into the sermons and I, I really appreciate that I'm really encouraged by, by by those that are studying ahead um, and, and reading the book even before they come it, it shows to me that you're preparing to come into this place of, of, of worship preparing to come and um, and and to to hear what God has to say to the church and so for those that are um, joining us for the first time we've kind of given you kind of the timeline of of the Minor Prophets and what I love about the Minor Prophets and why this series has been so much fun for preachers, this is especially fun for preachers because we really get to dive into the character of God, right? What the Old Testament really reveals to us is a deep character of God. What What we see in the New Testament is a result of what we see in the Old Testament. What we see in the New Testament and when Jesus has come and we get to live under this mercy and grace, we get to see where all of that comes from. In the Old Testament and what I love about the prophets sometimes people are just like oh we go through the prophets and it's all this gloom and doom and this judgment that, of God and it feels so depressing but here's the thing if we don't remember God's character that he is a perfect God and that his judgment comes because of our sin if we don't remember that and we don't see that we don't get to see the beauty of the grace that comes in the New Testament then we start taking advantage of God's grace and Jesus' death on the cross becomes nothing when we forget that we serve a God and the God that created us, the God that sent his son Jesus, is the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. That The God in the Old Testament of judgment is the same God of the God in the New Testament of mercy, grace, and love. And so when we don't look at the gloom and doom side of things, we forget or the grace and the love doesn't seem to be as attractive. And so when we preach about this, what we're trying to help you understand and come into an understanding is that we need to see the judgments of God in order to see his love. And if we just preach his love without seeing the judgment, then that's just empty. And so that's why we love going through the, we love going through the minor prophets and when we look at Micah today there's such a theme it's so similar to Isaiah and Micah and Isaiah are actually contemporaries in the Bible they're actually working in the same time and speaking to the same people what we get to see is that this message of pointing towards the Messiah is so apparent and so clear today so if we look at Micah the oops, sound team if you could get that. Next slide for me. If We look at Micah and I know that every chart we show you, it's just like, okay, it's impossible to see, it's so tiny, it's a squint, okay, just squint. The reason why it's so tiny is because there's a lot of information that we're trying to crime into one slide. And so um, right here we see the Old Testament, so I've already, we've already just, this is just looking at the Old Testament, there's the kings and the prophets. Of Israel and Judah at this point, where we see Micah, Micah actually happens between the time of 735 BC to 700 BC, and at that time, by by the time Micah is actually prophesying in Judah, the Northern Kingdom is already wiped out. Assyria Assyria came, and we 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 heard about that through through Jonah, through um, Amos, through Hosea that that. The, the message to the northern kingdom, if you don't change, if you don't repent, I'm, this is your doom. Assyria is going to come and take over. And so Assyria came and took over Israel in 722. This is before Micah came into the picture. But Micah existed during that time. So he saw Assyria come and overthrow the, 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 the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay, And so Micah knows that he lived through that. He's seen all of that. Now Micah is serving during the time of Joth, Jotham Ahaz Hezekiah and he's speaking specifically to the southern kingdom of Judah and the capital there is Jerusalem. All right? So this is a the the frame of of, of Micah we get this actually all in the first verse okay so this is not something that you have to dig very deep for if you just open the book of Micah the first thing it tells you is all of this information right here okay so this is just me helping you understand where it fits in and how to piece it together alright so southern kingdom during this the, the time of the reign of Jotham Ahaz and Hezekiah um northern kingdom does not exist anymore and so now Micah's warning the southern kingdom, all right? So Micah, if you have read the book and if you've already kind of gone through it, Micah is is a pretty hard book to understand. One of the reasons is because the book actually alternates back and forth between the threats and doom and the judgment that are to come and then the promise of hope. And so it's hard to figure out what situation that Micah's actually taught about when he goes through the dooms and the, the hope part. So, because of how it is written, sometimes it's it's hard to kind of figure out what is what is Michael trying to get here, what is he trying to, to do. But I really think that the reason the book is arranged this way is to make the point that where God and his people are concerned, there is always hope, even in the darkest catastrophes, that there is always hope. So when we look at this book and as we dive into it today, we're gonna focus first on the gloom part, the doom part, the judgment part, and then we're gonna focus on the great promise that he has through the Messiah that's to come. So let's pray before we get into it. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are, what you're doing in our church and in the kingdom today. And Lord, as we look into Micah, Lord, that these words continue to be an encouragement, continue to be a source of who we are, Lord Father God, that th- these words are not just for people of the past, but they are for your church today. So, Father God, as we dive into it, Lord, may Your Spirit come and bring just a hope and an encouragement to your people. Bring a hope and encouragement to your church. And Father God, as we pr- as we dive into the Word today, Lord, may Your Word just pierce our hearts and take down any barriers that we have to come to get to know you more, to get to know your character more, and to do and live the way that you want us to live. So Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Micah. It's after Jonah, before Nahum. Uh, If you have your smartphones, bring it up. Um, I always like to have scripture in front of me, so if you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles in the back for you. but I'm going to have some verses up, other verses I don't, so i just try to follow along as I go through it. But prophets like Micah, a lot of times when we look at these prophets and we look at the, the, Old, Test, the Old Testament, we think that these prophets, when they bring these judgments and when they talk about these things that God is going to do, that the, it's because of the prophet that bring the judgment in. But the reality is that the prophets actually don't bring judgment. They simply announce judgment the impending doom that is coming because these nations and these people brought it upon themselves. So the, it's not that the prophets are the one that are bringing the judgment, it's the people who have brought the judgment and God has said, spoken through one person he's just like, hey, these people are not doing the right thing, they're not living the right way, so I need you to go and tell them that because you're not living this way, that you are going, this is the result, these are the consequences of the way that you're living. So it's not that Micah is bringing these things. It's not that Micah is, is projecting that you're going to because you're doing the wrong thing, you're going to die, but it's, Micah is, be, is being a messenger for God because what the reality is is the nation has sinned against God. And God has chosen Micah to be his messenger and say, "Hey, you guys need to smarten up right now, because if you don't smarten up, this is what's going to happen." It's like that little thing in, 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 your, in your, you know that conscience, that thing that, that tells you what's right and wrong? It's like you're going to do something and you're like, oh, that's actually probably wrong to do, but you do it anyways. Well, that conscience thing is what the prophet is. The prophet is there to tell you, hey, stop. Stop what you're doing and correct your ways now. And so that's, that's, what, that's what all the prophets of old is, whether they're a major prophet or a minor prophet of the Bible, all prophets is to tell... And be that messenger of, of of God. They're the carrier of this is what God has to say to you. So if we start in start into the book, Micah, like I said, has already seen Assyria take over. So Samaria, when Micah refers to Samaria, Samaria is the capital city of Israel, of the Northern Kingdom, and now it's 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 no no longer there. Assyria has taken over. It doesn't exist anymore. And so Micah, starting in verse. in in verse six says therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundation. All her images shall be beaten to pieces and all her hires shall be burned with fire and all her idols I will lay waste. So Micah comes and reminds Jerusalem and says, look, this is already what happened to Samaria. Samaria has submitted into their idolatry And in the ways that they were living, remember when we spoke about it in Hosea and Amos, that Israel was living in a way where it was just, there was idolatry in the midst of understanding who God was. Remember, they were religious in their ways. They still went to the temples. They still gave. They still do all did all of the things that they were supposed to do as God's people. But on top of that, they brought in idols from Canaan, and they started worshiping those idols. They started doing injustice to the poor. They started taking advantage, and everybody was living in a way that was completely selfish. And so what Micah was telling Jerusalem is like, look, this is how Samaria was living, and this is what happened to them, and this is what's going to happen to you if you don't change your ways. You see, all of us as people, we worship someone or something. Idolatry isn't just an aspect of having idols come, of foreign gods to, to worship. Idolatry is putting anything. Thing in front of the worship of God. Idolatry is worshiping and putting precedence of whether it's finances, whether it's relationship, whether it's 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 wealth, whether what whatever it is, success. You're putting all of those things before God, and therefore you are idolizing these things. And that's the idolatry that is that these prophets are talking about. It's not just worshiping false gods, because false gods could look like anything. And so Micah is calling them out. There's idolatry in your spirit. There's idolatry in your heart. Anything that comes before God is an idol. The worship only belongs to one person, and that's God alone. And so Micah says that God cannot be both righteous and indifferent to the unbelief of idolatry which leads to sin. And those sins Brought out covetousness, stealing, oppression, and pride. In Micah 2, verse 2, it says, As they covet fields, and they seize them, and houses, and they take them away, they oppress a man and his house, and a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus thus said the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising evil from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk hotly, for it will be an evil time. Idolatry and arrogance and pride go hand in hand. It leads to covetousness and stealing and oppression. The spirit of greed was widespread in Jerusalem as it was in Samaria. You see, idolatry always leads us to a place where we become prideful, where we become arrogant because now it's about ourselves. It's not no longer about God. When we take ourselves out of the covering of who God is, we start covering ourselves with ourselves. And when we start covering ourselves with ourselves, then we start puffing ourselves up and ourselves, that pride will well up in you and you will start doing anything that you need to do to get what you want. It's no longer about who Jesus is. It's no longer about who God is in your life. But the third thing that Samaria did, that Jerusalem is also doing, is that even the leaders were, 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 were corrupt. That the justice that the priests and the prophets were doing, they were taking bribes. The prophets and the priests in Israel is their government as well. Remember, it's not the, the government of religion and the, the church and state thing wasn't so separate as we see it today in our own culture that it was one and the same, that the laws that were in the land are laws from God, and those laws were the ones that were governing them, and the ones that that enforced it were the the priests and the prophets that were in the land. And so the corruption not only was for the people of Samaria and for, for Jerusalem, but it was also in the leadership that the priests were taking bribes, that the prophets were taking bribes, that they were taking money from the people and they were speaking things into people's lives just because they received money. That, that, Corruption doesn't just happen to the people, but it even happens to the leaders. And we even see that in our church today, that there are pastors and and preachers out there today that do it just for the money and do it for the fame, and they don't do it because God has told them that these are the things that you need to enforce, and these are the things that you need to stand for. It says that in Micah chapter 3, he says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity to build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. Its, Its head give judgment for a bride and its priests teach for hire. Its prophets divine for money, yet they lean upon the Lord and say, It is not the Lord in the midst of us. No evil shall come upon us. Even the rulers hated justice and they perverted equity and shed blood. This was happening. For all this, Micah promises doom and destruction. That Samaria was already given away and it happened, like I said, before Micah even wrote this and spoke these things. And that Jerusalem and that Judah is going that same direction. And we actually see that beyond Micah's time, this is after Micah passes, that Jerusalem comes under Babylonian rule. That Babylon comes and takes over in 586 BC and that Jerusalem falls. Micah was not the one that destroyed the nation. It's the nation that destroyed themselves with their idolatry, with their covetousness and their perverted justice. But mingle in and amongst all of this doom, Micah brings hope. Micah brings a glimpse of future glory for repentance and for the humble people. Micah describes this in in chapter 6, verse 8. What God requires, if glory is to ever come over Israel, this is what is required. He says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is an active lifestyle. This is an action point for us. I think these are the same three things that Jesus had in mind when he criticized the Pharisees in in Matthew chapter 23 for neglecting the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. This is This verse here is the thesis of Micah. In the doom and the gloom and amongst all of this, there he leaves us with this action point of how to live in God's presence and in the way that God wants us to live. It is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. However, if we try to live this way in our own relationship, and in our own understanding, this could easily lead us to a self-righteous or a righteous religious spirit, which is no different from a Pharisee. So what does Micah give us? Micah gives us something or someone to look forward to. He gives the people a, a glimmer of hope, a glimpse of what's to come. He gives us, there is an example that is to come. When we look at God and we see the greatness of God and the character of God, we as a church today are, are privileged in the way that we actually understand and we see the whole picture of what God had painted for us. But the Old Testament, they didn't get to see that. They didn't get to see the Messiah. So what Micah says is like there, for you to truly understand who God is, God is going to bring down somebody. He's going to be in the form of a man, and this man is called the Messiah. Micah doesn't know who this is. Micah never gets to see this happen. But he's saying there is, there is somebody that is going to come that will lead you and show you the way to do it. And he is going to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. You see, from the days of David, God promised to send a human king. God promised that that there is going to be a person that is going to rule over this earth that will be the king of kings and will be called Mighty God and Everlasting Father. So when Micah paints this picture of God's future, it is in a visible person, and it is in the Messiah who we call Jesus. Therefore, when we look, we could see that there is future glory to come. So if we turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2 to 4, it says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in travail has brought forth. Then the rest of his brethren shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This is the same message that Isaiah was giving to, his, to to Jerusalem, that there is to come a king. And so if we look at this as Micah prophesizes Jesus to come, there are three things that we can draw from this. First, that God always acts to magnify himself and his glory because it is in his glory that we find freedom and mercy. So God always chooses out of the smallest things to reveal his glory. He says out of Bethlehem, we see that God could have used Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the Mecca, was the the hub of of Israel. This This is where everything happens. This is where the temple is. God could have chose Jesus to be born in Jerusalem, but yet he didn't. God chose Bethlehem, a little town in the middle of nowhere where it has no significance. God chose Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. Why? Because out of the smallest of mankind that God's glory could be known. God chose David out of, the, out of everybody, chose David to be king. That Jesus' lineage comes from David. And if you look at David, David was the youngest of his brothers. And David was the smallest and the least likely to succeed in anything. That's why he was a shepherd. Remember what a position of a shepherd is? Shepherd is the job that nobody wants and you just get. You don't choose to be a shepherd. You get to be a shepherd because you cannot amount to anything else. Yet God chooses David to be king. God uses the story time and time again throughout the entirety of the Bible to show us that out of the the smallest aspect of human life, that I can make things great, and it's not out of our accomplishments, but it's out of what he does that makes things great. It shows his glory. It magnifies who he is. That's why God chose Bethlehem for Jesus to be born. Not Jerusalem. He didn't come from the king that was ruling of of that time. He chose from the smallness so that his glory can be magnified. So that he can be seen, that his power is greater than anything we know. That it is not out of our accomplishments, but out of what he does and out of who he is, that greatness comes. That should be an encouragement for us, that in no matter where we are in our lives. That no matter how small we feel sometimes, that God can still do great things in your life. That God can still do great things for you and that God is great because he sees you that I'm not small because my God is great. My God is better. The second thing is that God keeps his promise. That's what he shows us in this verse, that God keeps his promise because any Jew that heard Micah predict this, the coming of the ruler out of Bethlehem, who would feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, would think immediately of two people, of David and the coming son of David, the Messiah. David was from Bethlehem. David was a ruler of Israel. David was a shepherd. The link between the coming Messiah and the king of David is a link of promise. Everybody in Israel knew that. That was already spoken before them. What Micah is doing, he's reasserting the certainty of God and the promise he had to David. He said in in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, I will raise up your offsprings after you who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of this kingdom forever, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The amazing thing about Micah is that he reasserts the certainty of this promise, not at a time when Israel is rising to power, but at a time when Israel is sinking. He witnesses the destruction of the northern kingdom and he predicts the fall and the exile of Judah. And most likely, you could tell how firmly someone believes in God's promise by whether it gives him strength and hope when life around him is caving in. But Micah, it appears that he never wavered and he always knew that God would keep his promise. Finally, we learn that God protects his people. Verse four, he says, he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of his name of the Lord his God and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth." God's purpose in sending the Messiah is not only to glorify himself but also to be a shepherd to his people. You see, every single one of us, whether we feel it or not right now, we all need a shepherd, someone to lead us, someone to guide us. We sometimes feel like in our own strength that we could actually do this, but when we go through tough times, all of us are seeking after the comfort of the shepherd, that his rod and staff is good for us. We need a shepherd, and God sent us the perfect shepherd, which is Christ. What he offers to us is that he will stand to protect us. That he doesn't just lie around waiting for us to serve him, that God stands to protect us. I take my two-year-old to the playground, and we see a couple types of parents, okay? Ones that kind of sit back and, don't really pay attention. They just kind of let their kids run wi- wild. Those are the crazy kids in the playground that every single parent hates and every kid hates because they're just throwing sand at everybody. Okay, There's those parents that just kind of like, oh, I gonna, you, you, Timmy, just go play and they sit and then until somebody comes and approaches the parents and says, hey, you, your kid has a broken leg over there. Then he's like, oh, okay, I'm going to pick him up. There's that type of parent. There's a helicopter-type parent, which is not good either. That the one that just hovers around all the time. Or there's a parent that kind of follows and leads and stands and waits. One that lets the kid run free, but always looking out for impending doom, always looking out for them. And if they fall, they pick them up. If they, if they whatever, whatever happens, they're there to fight for them. If a kid is throwing sand from little Timmy that was throwing sand, if, a, if little Timmy throws sand at you, that God is there to, to rebuke that person and say, hey, stop throwing sand. My wife has a very, very strong strong maternal instinct that anybody throws sand at my son, shh, watch out. She will come after you. Mama bear is going to kill you. <sighs> but that's the type of parent that God is. God is that type of parent, that he will stand up for you if anybody is picking on you. If anything happens, to you, he's watching out for you. That's, that's the type of parent that God is. But not only does God actively stand for you to protect you, God also feeds you. He leads us beside to green pastures and beside still water. God gives you what you need. He gives you things to help you grow. He gives you things to, to nurture you. He gives you things, to, to good gifts. God gives good gifts. Do you believe that? Church, do you believe that God gives you good things? He gives good things because he wants you to grow. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to be his children. He wants you to be his people. God wants you to to be his witness of who he is. He feeds you so that you're good, so that the world may see that God is good. That's a good thing. The third is that he will serve us in the strength of the Lord, that you know that he has good intentions for all of us. There is no lack in his strength, that God's strength is omnipotent, that if you tr- if when you put your trust in him, that his strength is on your side, that you, you can walk with him, that he purifies you through his strength, that we don't need to focus on our own strength in doing things, that God gives us more than enough. To do what he wants us to do and finally notice this that he shall be great to the ends of the earth that whatever he establishes does not cease that it will be great to the ends of the earth that there is no government there is no empire that could come against the church to take down the church that there is nothing that could take down god's kingdom that there is nothing that could overthrow everything that he's established that our security will not be threatened at the end of the day and that the whole earth will be filled with his glory this is the hope that we have and the hope that micah turns us towards he turns us towards jesus a man that has lived out how god wants us to live a man in the middle of what is good so when micah says that he has showed you, oh man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of us is to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. If we flip this order of, of what was said, it is in humble faith in God's mercy that inclines our own hearts to show mercy, and that leads us to seek justice for the mistreated. This is the hope in how we are to live. This is a picture of what God wants us to do. This is a picture of what kingdom is about. These words right here is how he wants all of us to live. This is an action point. This isn't just a suggestion. This is an action point of how his disciples are. This is the reflection of who God's kingdom people are. This is a reflection of what Jesus did. His entire ministry on this world was to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly. That is Jesus' entire ministry. And God wants us to do this exact same thing. That it isn't enough just to see justice come because just if we look at just justice, sometimes we forget to see the goodness of God. But we need to wrap that justice in the kindness of God, which is the mercy of God. That God loves his humanity and that he cares for his humanity and that he died for his humanity. And then to walk humbly, to position ourselves and to posture ourselves in a place where God oversees everything that we do and that we humbly come before him knowing that we are sinners and that we come before him so that we can receive his mercy and his kindness and his justice that's the beauty of walking alongside God is that we don't have to do it that he already did it that all the sins and the darkness that we face has been already reconciled by one man. And that man is Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross so that we could continue to live this way. That man died on the cross so that we we could receive his kindness. That man died on the cross so that justice is already paid. That man died on the cross to teach us how to walk humbly with him. Church, this is your call. Micah doesn't just give us all this doom and gloom. He closes his book with these words that leave no doubt in our mind that God's mercy is with us. He says this, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnants of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, and you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the day of old. So there you have it. Micah gives us this hope in the person of Jesus. He points us, everything that he writes about, points us to the man of the, which is called Messiah in his day but as we know it, it's Jesus. So there is hope. There's hope not only for Israel, but there is hope for the church. That today the church continues to be called to the same thing. Do justice. Love kindness. And walk humbly with God. Church, how are you going to respond? How are you going to take these words What is God telling you in your life and in your personal experiences right now that you have to to tear down right now? What walls are there that is inhibiting you to actually understand what this is about? I just encourage you to continue looking towards Jesus, looking towards his cross, because that's where your answer is going to be. So let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are That you are a God that is just, but you are a God that is love. Lord, that you love us so much that all the sins and all the things that, all the bad things that we have in our minds and in our heads, that you have taken all of that and said, all of that is renewed. All of that is clean and that my righteousness through my son is now put on you. So Father God, as we come to understand that aspect of it, Lord, teach us to live the way that you want us to live. Teach us what justice means. Teach us what your kindness is and teach us how to walk humbly with you. So Father God, we just ask for your encouragement. We ask for your spirit to be your people and as your witness of what the kingdom is. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John, for a great message. I get so stirred I could preach a second one, but I won't do that. You know, there's so many just pearls of wisdom that come out of it. I just think about how the New Testament refers to Jesus as the pearl of great price. He himself is our great wisdom. And uh, as we study and as we give ourselves to the word of God, and in particular in this series, The Minor Prophets, we are able to just receive deeply from the Holy Spirit these things that challenge our souls and cause us to draw closer to God, to become more pure, to become more holy, and to be more representative of his people. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for the words from Micah this morning. We thank you, Father God, for the message, for the piercing clarity, for the three action points that you give us, Father God to love mercy, to walk humbly with you, to do justice. Lord, make us those people, Father God, that embody it, that inhabit that. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Cause us, Father God, to be your fragrance as we go out this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Blessings. Have a wonderful week.